Welcome to Box to Box Football. Hey, everybody. Welcome into Box to Box Football. We're going to preview uh, the Premier League Week 2. Before we get to that, and we look, we have a full house here today. Uh, before we get to that, we're going to you know, look at some of the games from midweek. Uh, you know, obviously, the UEFA Super Cup was one of the big ones. We told you that game was going to be pretty interesting and pretty close. It always is between those two teams. And, you know, I think the one thing that's pretty cool, uh, we'll talk next uh, uh, next week about the Champions League playoff matchups because uh, now we're getting down to pretty close to where this, um, you know, the teams that are going to be in it is. But, you know, this time of year, it's pretty cool, I think, because you know, every – there's basically – football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, football, every single day. If you want to watch games right now, you know, basically from the middle of July until um, the end of August, you can find games on. And, you know, because they're playing these conference league games at 11 o'clock in the morning in Azerbaijan and places, you you could basically watch from 11 o'clock until 7 o'clock at night. And then even tune in to see, you know, maybe a Lionel Messi score goals from 50 yards out and stuff like that but remember like subscribe ring the bell all that and uh uh who, 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 kyle you want you uh, you you uh what's going on over there <laughs> i might be i might be uh in a press box at a baseball game right if now. you see it uh-huh. if, you, if we see any foul balls coming up there uh we'll we'll, we'll let's tell you to job i'll be uh i'll be ducking under the table if any foul balls <laughs> come up don't pull a john way. sterling <laughs> uh, but you know i mean uh, there, there, obviously there's been you know a lot of games and there's some good games coming up this week yeah but uh sean mentioned it uh the uefa super cup was on wednesday this week uh it finished man city won sevilla won and then man city went on to win that game and, and penalty kick sevilla took the lead in the first half city equalized through cole palmer cole palmer all of a sudden scoring goals in uh in in cup finals uh, with the with the, I don't know if you call it a cup final, but yeah, certainly he scored for Man City in the in the charity shield, uh, and then again the equalizer uh, against Sevilla in the Super Cup, and then City of course wins it on penalties. Um, I'll, I'll start with you, Sean. Just your thoughts on on that Super Cup uh, between City and Sevilla. Yeah, look, I, to be honest, I you know once again I, I thought Sevilla you know played really well. I thought that played Palmer's been very good. The thing about Palmer is right now, you know, with City, you know, is he playing ahead of? Julian Alvarez, is he playing ahead of Erling Holland? He scores goals. You know, he's not going to go on loan. They're either going to keep him or sell him. But, uh, you know, he scores some goals. I actually thought Sevilla played really well. It was a little bit of a fluky-ish goal. But, you know, City City did enough to win the cup uh, in penalties. The penalties were really good. I thought, you know, Bono should have probably saved that fifth one before um, the, the, the penalty was missed. And I, I'll say this, you know, unlike the – Community Shield, which is, you know, a glorified friendly. I, 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 you know, I know sometimes people don't take the Super Cup seriously, but the, it's a it's a European trophy. I mean, when you go down, you know, you look at the list of honors. City now has a Champions League and a uh, Super Cup and will have a chance to, to win, you know, the, the Club World Cup. And, uh, you know, those things when you're trying to build luck. And, and once again, I don't need to get into the legit, legitimacy of City and, you know, 115 charges. I, 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 every time we, we talk about it, it should be brought up. But, you know, when you're trying to build a, a, uh, a team, like a legitimate team, you know, Chelsea, when they won the Champions League and then they won the, the Club World Cup and they won the Super Cup. I mean, that's you know, important when you go look at the wall of honor. So I, you know, I, I do, I actually take the super cup pretty seriously. I, you know, and I, I, I wish, you know, Manchester United that in 08, when they lost to, to um, the Russian team, uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, I wish they would have taken it a little more seriously. Well, it's a funny thing about these sort of competitions, Sean. I think you're right. Some teams, you never know exactly what they're going to expect or like what they're going to show out, but what City continued to do is win, and winning breeds confidence. We know it's a confidence side, but it's a staple of whatever competition that they enter. They go on and win because let's think about it here. Since, what, mid-May, winning Premier League, win FA Cup, win Champions League, win Community Shield, win Super Cup. All the team does is win, and that continues to 
you know, just run through this squad. And the thing that actually surprised me the most now, granted, I, I unfortunately had a, a family commitment, which is why I was not on the last show. So I didn't see too, too much of the game, but I was surprised at how strong of a squad Pep played, knowing that the team played on the weekend, traveled to Greece to play what it again, what Sean said in essence is a glorified friendly to some extent. It is an exercise. There's a trophy at stake, but then as Pep said, after the game was over, Oh yeah, right. The Premier League scheduled us for a Saturday afternoon kickoff. It's kind of crazy to think that he basically went with just about as strong of a side that you possibly can do. And I mean, yeah, the the statistics kind of speak for themselves, as you said. You know, Sevilla went out in front, and I kind of reminded myself: if anyone ever saw this, it's a little niche, but it is a, a soccer movie, a shot at glory, where Robert Duvall, who is the manager of Kilnocky, going up against Rangers, and in the cup finally said. One more thing, lads. Don't score too early. It'll only piss them off. And naturally, what did Sevilla do? They scored in the first half, and it only pissed the beasts off. I came away with a bit of a different view. It's a results-based business. Man City has a trophy, so it's a success, right? But what Kyle and I touched on in the preview show is the loss of Gundogan And now on top of that, the loss of De Bruyne. Kevin De Bruyne has the same injury now for the third time. I don't think it's irrelevant to talk about the fact that Kevin De Bruyne did not want to play in that last World Cup. He was pretty open about the fact he didn't want to play in that last World Cup. He did. He got hurt. He fought through, made it back for the Champions League final, got hurt. Comes back. Opening week of the Premier League gets hurt. I would not be stunned, given the fact that it's the same injury, if De Bruyne doesn't really play much this season, or if he does, he doesn't have much of an impact. They're yeah, talking about three to four months on that on that injury. Yeah, yeah he's going to be out for him. If, if Pep should just leave, I mean, he, he shouldn't play till next year. Yeah. City can, quote-unquote, buy whoever they want, right? But now you're talking about losing Gundogan and De Bruyne. Other than Erling Holland, maybe two of the three most important people on City, you cannot replace De Bruyne and Gundogan. Kovacic will do a job if they bring in Lucas Paqueta. I mean, he struggled in the Premier League. He was fine in Europa. He wasn't great in the Premier League last year. But if you're City, even City, can only lose so many players. And those are two big ones. I came out of this game, Stu, thinking that while City won, they didn't look terribly creative. They didn't, and you kind of saw Erling Holland kind of neutralized because of that. He only had 15 touches, only had six passes. Um, so really, it really is affecting Holland. And if you don't get that playmaking, from a De Bruyne, that's going to be a problem. Gundogan as well, obviously, who is now in Barcelona. Obviously, I know Bernardo Silva didn't play. Uh, some of the guys on the on the back line are still getting up to speed and, and resting and overcoming injuries. So there's a little bit of a you know impact there. But, yeah, the midfield is definitely concerning. Not sure if it's something that costs them the league, but it's going to make it at least a little bit harder for them this year. Holland, by the way, 007 they're calling him now. Seven finals. Zero goals, zero assists. Uh, you know, he scored a lot of goals last year, but then, you know, when you look at the teams he scored the goals against, uh, you know, he's just, when Salah had that monster year, I mean, the flat track bullies, they, they call him over there. I mean, he absolutely annihilated the teams from, like, eighth place in the table down, which is what you're supposed to do. When you're supposed, you know, to win titles and stuff like that, you're supposed to do that, but, you know – Against these top teams, sometimes it's tough. I mean, if you shut down that pipeline, maybe you can kind of keep them quiet. So, I mean, it definitely worked in that game as well. So, um, be interesting to see, you know, this weekend, obviously now, because, um, you know, they have to play. You know, they, they gave them the, the uh, you know, the eight, the 8 o'clock kickoff over there um, this weekend, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So... You know, is it is it you know a couple hours extra rest? I don't know. I mean, Newcastle is going to be rested. I I think 
that game is going to be really interesting. JJ, what, what, you know. Uh, yeah, this is something that's been bothering me for years. And I think, I don't know, you guys maybe in previous episodes or in the first uh, iteration of the show, but the Premier League need to start helping out some of their teams a little bit because you, you look at some of the other leagues in the world, especially in Spain, where, yeah, you don't want to completely play favorites all of the time, but if you're going to have a team play in Champions League, play a midweek, Europa League, Europa Conference, obviously it's a little more difficult with the Thursday, but like try and help some teams out. The fact that Pep, and he has every right to it, I know Jurgen Klopp has obviously done this a number of times, but football the powers that be just don't care about player welfare and player safety anymore. I mean, you talk about KDB getting injured and I think it was the commentators did say pretty bluntly, uh, what was it? Um, Lasso was saying that he did not want to play in that season opening match against Burnley. He did not feel like he was ready or fit or anywhere close. He should have gotten what probably off until mid September. Clearly city have enough weapons, to help themselves out, but I, it's just embarrassing for me that we're now in the back half of 2023 and still the premier league doesn't schedule a little better, at least look ahead because they don't announce. They announce the weekly fixtures at the beginning of the season, but they move games for television every month. So maybe we start looking into this a little bit more. Don't even get me started on the blackout rules because you know, we still have teams that can't even show their own games in their own country to their own fans because you can't show anything on television between 245 and 515, let alone streaming online. That's another thing. But yeah, this is just a, a challenging one. But Kyle, I think now here, here we go. City, they've probably got one of the early games of the season on deck with Newcastle who are going to be ready at the bit to try and take three points. Yeah, this is a, a great segue as we look into the, the week two of the Premier League season because the big game on the docket is is Newcastle against City. Newcastle, of course, coming off that really impressive 5-1 to thumping of, of Aston Villa. City beat Burnley 3-0, pretty academic for for City in that one. But, man, c- coming off the short week, and, and we've mentioned it, no no Kevin De Bruyne for, for Manchester City. And, and Newcastle laid down a marker last week, can really put one down this week if it goes and it, it beats City. Yeah, and that's going to be the fun part of this game. Is this going to be Newcastle announcing, hey, we're here? Or is this going to be Manchester City saying, no, you're not? Because this is going to be a pretty big statement game early in the season. It's going to be really fun to watch this game. And just from a tactical standpoint, Sean, this is the type of matchup that is probably going to be pretty wide open as well. Both teams struggling a bit in their midfields, particularly with depth. Um, I, I think the midfield matchup is going to decide this one. Yeah, and I, I think if you, if I remember correctly from last year, the, when they played uh, like a year ago, it was a pretty wide open encounter to be to, then as well. Look, you know, City's going to be fatigued. They played in Greece. The game went late. It went to penalties. They didn't have to play the extra 30 minutes, which is nice uh, for them. Uh, Newcastle is going to be rested. Uh, Newcastle's squad is a little bit deeper now. Obviously, Manchester City's squad is pretty deep, um, even without uh, some of the players that they have. You know, they're, they're midfield. They're, they're going to obviously sign some players, I think, you know, to, to keep this um, kind of – uh, team getting stronger, but you know, they're going to have some pretty good attacking players ready to go here in this game. I, you know, I just, I, I think this is going to be, um, yeah. Uh, you know, last year was three, three in that early, uh, encounter one of Newcastle's 11 draws, uh, last year, but I, I, I just, I, I think it's going to be the same type of game. I mean, both these teams, I, I came away impressed at the, uh, the in the in the summer series uh, watching Newcastle. They just want to attack. I think there's going to be goals. I think City can be got. I, I just, you know, I just think at some time, sometimes in these games they're open and they can be got. And this isn't going to be one of these games where they're going to have 80 percent possession. So I think there's, you know, going to be some goals in this game. 
Yeah, it's funny that you spoke about that 3-3 draw because the second match of the two last year between City and Newcastle was a bit more one-sided where Newcastle, or City scored and basically took the air out of the game. But I did look back at the XG of that first meeting where despite the fact that Newcastle had just 31% possession in that game, they had a 1.81 expected goals. They got three. City had 21 shots in that game, 10 on target. And had an XG of close to two and a third. So open, absolutely. And that game was the one that Newcastle kind of announced themselves. This was a, about a year ago, actually. It's saying, hey, it's not just noise that you know, the Saudis came in and bought us and we're going to buy a lot of players. We're actually here to compete and you know, cause a lot of chaos. Now I think this is even their next step in their progression to say, not only are we here to cause noise and cause chaos, we're going after the crown. Hopefully for them, Stu, they don't miss. Yeah, and it, for them, for Newcastle, it's really a, a great time to play City, right? Because we talked about City being down midfielders, being down defensemen. Um, so to get them now and to get them before any European football starts and you have City playing all these games, this, they're already going to be basically three games in while Newcastle's one game in. So it's really like it's really a perfect time for Newcastle to play them before, you know, uh, before City gets healthier. Um, I guess the one thing I would say is uh, City's won ten straight at home uh, overall. So it's going to be tough to get them at home, but this might be the time just for them to do that. City has a couple of outgoings. It's looking like here as well. It looks like Americ Laporte uh, is probably going to be headed to Saudi Arabia. That's probably going to allow. Uh, Guardiol to slot into his more natural center back position as opposed to playing out in the left back because I thought he really struggled out there on Tuesday, I believe it was, that game. Um, I I thought he struggled out there. I I think he'll benefit from moving inside. But selling Laporte, probably going to bring you a lot of money, which is going to be that financial fair play thing. You know, that's going to be one of those – I mean, a lot of money. Is it going to be a hundred million? No, we'll get you forty, fifty million probably, and maybe that's enough to get in a Pakata or you know one of the guys that Man City need to be able to compete in that midfield. But that's something for their season for this game. Yeah, heavy legs could really be a problem. And what is that midfield now going to look like? Um, I think a name that a lot of people have forgotten about is Calvin Phillips. Mm. Calvin Phillips didn't play last year for Man City, really. And two years ago, when he was at Leeds, he was one of the best holding midfielders in the league. Is Pep going to change up the shape a little bit? Is he going to play him a little bit more forward? Is Calvin Phillips going to get his Manchester City shot now? Thank God I made it through that without swearing. Is he going to get that opportunity now? Is Cole Palmer going to play in that midfield more? Is he someone that's going to potentially be an outgoing I think this is going to be not only a yardstick game for Newcastle to say, hey, are we serious title contenders? Can we hang with Man City? But now those guys in the Man City depth that we say never really get the opportunity. Some of those guys are going to get the opportunity on a big stage in this game. Do they perform or do they cause City to feel like they need to go out and get more? It kind of feels like, though, we're, we, we talk about this being a yardstick game for Newcastle, and we're, we're kind of, hey, this is this is Newcastle's chance. City's uh, a little wounded, a little leggy. But, but I mean, it's the game is at the Etihad. Doesn't it, like, City is just going to pass the ball around. Holland's going to score two goals on with six touches. And at the end of the day, City's going to win 2-0. And it's going to be, like, business as usual. Like, like part of me, like, still believes that's what's going to happen because that's been the pattern for the last three seasons. Yeah, it's actually a funny one that you mentioned that about the location. If this game was played at St. James's Park, I think that's probably at least an extra half goal for Newcastle, maybe even more just to get them over the line. I think (laughs) for City, they're just thanking their lucky stars that the when the schedule came out said that, oh, yeah, you're home on this one. That that's a huge break, uh, but I still think if you're Newcastle, you do try and press early. You try to get Isak at least a couple of looks because he looked up for it in the first match of the season, and I don't think he even got out of first gear. 
So that'll be something for me to watch. And, and once again, that's the, the three o'clock kickoff on Saturday, uh, East Coast time here on the, the United States. Uh, on to our next game, Man United visits Tottenham. That's a 12.30 p.m. kickoff Eastern time again here in the United States uh, on Saturday. Uh, United a one 0 win over Wolves in, in in the opener. We 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 talked in nauseum about the penalty that should have been given but wasn't. Uh, maybe a little fortunate to hang on to the three points. Uh, and then Tottenham uh, with a two two draw against Brentford in its opener. It'll be the uh, the home opener for Ange Ball um, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Sean, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I, I I'd like to see you know the lineup. Uh, that United puts out there. I thought, you know, they were much better when Sancho came on, uh, which hasn't always been the case with them. Um, you know, I think, you know, Garnacho maybe might be better coming off the bench late in games or in the 60th minute when he can kind of run at tired defenders. I think maybe that could be a way to go at it. Um, they still need someone in the middle. Uh, you know, Hoyland is going to be, uh, you know, hopefully next week. Uh, who knows? He could be ready to go now. You never know with this stuff. Um, I think he's probably in at least a week away. Um, you know, their defense, uh, their back four, I thought they played okay. Uh, you know, no, uh, I think, I don't know if Martinez trained today. So, you know, I, I got to watch Victor Lindelof, I guess, which is always scary. To me, I think he stinks, but it is what it is. They could maybe put Shaw there and maybe put someone, you know, they could put Delo at at left back, put Wambasak at right back. I think they could do something like that. Look, this this Spurs team is going to set up. They're going to set up to score goals. I think, you know, one thing about Manchester United over the last, you know, under Ten Hag, I mean, uh, De Gea won the Golden Glove last year. He somehow he kept the most clean sheets. I think that's not, you know, obviously down to him, but the fact that they kind of play in some of these games, they, they defensively much better than they were the year before, obviously, Um, you know, Spurs are going to go for it. They're going to leave space for players like Rashford, uh, players like Anthony, players like, you know, Sancho, whoever's going to be there. So I think it could be interesting. But, uh, you know, look, Spurs and 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 United over the years, uh, it's been a pretty good game. I've been to some games in, in Manchester where where we've beaten Tottenham over the last few years. I saw them, I saw Tottenham beat us 3-0. I, we go to Tottenham and win some games. So, you know, the, the home, home pitch doesn't really kind of matter too much in these games. I, I just think it's going to be a pretty attacking game much like the uh, the 3 o'clock match. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, Sean, because you talked a lot about Ange Ball and how open that game was. And Wolves and Manchester United was much more open than the 1-0 scoreline showed. Mm. There were okay. a lot of opportunities in that game for Wolves. Wolves just couldn't find their finishing boots. If Spurs can then I think this game has a chance to see a, a pretty big scoreline, JJ. Yeah, um, since obviously you guys beat it to death on the Tuesday show, so I'm not really going to go too much into it from my perspective, um, outside the fact that, yes, it was a stonewall penalty, and I thought United were just poor from start to finish. Not a good performance, and frankly, Wolves deserved at least something from that game. But the matchup for me that's going to be p- interesting is how – Casemiro is going to go against uh, Madison in the middle of the park because I think that Madison was uh, very good in that game. Um, But if Casemiro can kind of do what he does and yeah, just to kind of figure out a way to put him in a shell, that's where Sean, then you're talking about space is going to be in behind and allow uh, for Rashford, Sancho, if he has the opportunities, Garnacho, I would prefer not to see him, play in this match I think he needs to kind of just re- reassess some things and then um yeah that's absolutely true but uh yeah this, this could be something that'll be really interesting to watch over uh this weekend Stu yeah and with Romero uh for for Spurs likely out I know he kind of has a bit of a concussion issue uh that back line is is not the strength of that team right they're an attacking team that relies on you know their better players are up front 
you're going to see either Eric Dyer, Sanchez, uh, the youngster Vandeven. Like you're going to see two of those three probably playing center back. And you got Vicario at goalie. Like I just feel like for Spurs, they gave up two goals to Brentford. This is a whole different beast than United. And I know they're at home and it's the first home game for Ange Ball, but uh, that's going to be a tough ask for that for that back line, that defense to uh, stop United from uh, scoring. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that they're – I mean, Manchester United's going to get chances, and I think they'll find, you know, find a way to, to, you know, get a goal or two. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, if they can not – allow Spurs to, to score three or something like that. I mean, you know, going to Spurs, a 2-2 draw or, you know, a, a point wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, obviously, you know, you you, you want to win the match. But, um, you know, with, with, with uh, you know, two weeks having to go back to, to North London and, and face Arsenal again, you know, they pretty, pretty, you know, tough – uh, away schedule to start the season. Look, if they can get anything from this game, I think. But I, I do think there's going to be, um, you know, it's a lot like last year, that game, uh, the 2-2 draw away. I, I think it's going to be something like that. I, I think every time Tottenham goes out there, you're going to see teams, be it Manchester United, Manchester City, Crystal Palace, whoever it is, I think they know they can score some goals against this team, you know, and they're probably going to give some up. So, you know, the, these games are going to be pretty high scoring with Tottenham. Yeah, let's uh, let's stay in London to talk about our our next game, uh, where Chelsea is going to visit West Ham at uh, at the London Stadium. That's a Sunday at eleven thirty a.m. kickoff. Again, all these times are going to be our time here on the on the East Coast. Uh, Chelsea, of course, uh, a one-one draw against Liverpool at Stamford Bridge last week. West Ham was one-one against uh, Bournemouth. Um, so the the game number two in the the Mauricio Pochettino era for Chelsea. Um, I'll turn it over to to you guys. Stu, you want to go first here? Um, and, and what you saw from Chelsea in, in week number one and, and what can they build on, uh, particularly now that they've started to make some new signings in that midfield. Yeah, so for Chelsea, it's going to be interesting. I actually watched that whole game pretty closely against Liverpool, and I, I watched it a second time as well. Um, they obviously dominated possession. Now, do I think that's more of a Chelsea thing or a Liverpool thing? I think it's more of a Liverpool thing at this stage. Um, but at the same time, they did dominate possession. Uh, you have Reese James, who has picked up an injury. He look, he's likely going to be out months from at least what I've seen uh, on social media. Um, this is honestly, for me, I think going to West Ham, I think it's a chance for Chelsea to drop points again. Um, it's just, I, I just don't see in Chelsea the cohesion yet. They're still you know, have a new manager, basically new players in almost every position. They obviously have talent. They keep bringing in talent. They're going to bring probably a couple more guys in before the window's over. But until they get that consistent starting 11 or somewhat close to it, um, I, I just think it's going to be a bit of a, a rough road to start. And then once they get some guys, uh, you know, some cohesion, they'll be fine. But I think it's going to be a little bit a uh, while for that, Mike. I thought Chelsea looked a little bit better in that game than you did, Stu, just from the fact of, I mean, the bar was so low last year, right? So you look at where they're at now, even that was a massive step up to get that tie. And you look at West Ham, we talked about the turmoil that they were kind of going through in the front office, you know, whether it's Steiden or Moyes that's going to win out. You look a lot of their transfers, it's looking like, uh, David Moyes is the one that's kind of winning out at least so far, but you'll also look at their recent results. Now, you can't take too much from preseason, but a draw against non-lead Dagenham and Redbridge, a loss to Rennes, 4 nothing to Bayer Leverkusen, and then a 1-1 draw at Bournemouth to start the season. Do we see some of those new guys start to make their debut? Do you see a, a James Ward-Prowse out there, maybe give them a bit more of a creative spark than they have? Does Pocketa play, depending on where he's at in kind of his transfer saga going on now with Man City? Who's going to score for West Ham is a question that I think not enough people are asking. Antonio is really the only proper striker on that team since they sold Skamaka. I think Chelsea has a chance here to kind of re-announce themselves. You know, the 2-2 result against Liverpool was pretty good, 
But, J.J., I, I liked a lot of those young guys that I saw, particularly Nicholas Jackson. I thought he looked really good for Chelsea, and I think the, the Blues have a chance here. Well, actually, I'd, you asked the question about who would be the one that would score, and it's funny that when you look up and down that West Ham lineup and who could be options, especially if it, Mikel Antonio isn't getting the service that he wants, this is actually a game for me that I foresee – Danny Ings like popping up and being just an absolute nuisance and he just finds a way to kind of be forgotten about and then all of a sudden he'll have like a run of four matches in a row where he's always finding the back of the net whether it's coming off the bench whether it's starting he's going to put in a lot of the hard miles and I almost see this yes this is going to be a very American thing for me to say but I feel like this is almost kind of a, a trap game for Chelsea so early on the season because we're talking about the in, internal turmoil what's going on at West Ham how not a lot of business being done. They've gained a lot of money, obviously, from the deals that they've made of outgoing players. Um, but I feel like this is a perfect night for them to fly under the radar a little bit and go to their London rivals and perhaps get points of it. But yeah, you, you are right now. Personally, I didn't have a chance to see much of that Chelsea game, but I feel like the way that they're set up right now, yeah, the lost uh, Reese James, that, that could be Brutal. brutal i mean this is a guy obviously that's in so much confidence right now heading into the season getting the armband oh and now he's not going to be seen for a little bit of time i know that they chelsea they're going to spend money so they'll probably find three players to fill that void will any of them work who knows um but yeah I think for me, I'm going to be watching more on how West Ham compete in this match and if they can try and get something from it to then springboard to maybe be a team that can peacock over the last two weeks and get themselves a couple of deals over the line to strengthen that squad. So, first of all, I was at this game last year in, in West Ham. It was on, it was on uh, February 10th. Uh, that I don't know if you remember the video of that Chelsea fan getting knocked, knocked out unconscious uh, right in was front of Was that you? No, it happened right in front of me, though. I, like, I mean, I, I was walking in. I'm like, what's going on here? And I saw, I mean, he got sparked out right in front of me. Um, so, it, you know, it was, it was an interesting game. It was 1-1. Chelsea hasn't won in in um, at West Ham since 2017. There's been a couple 3-2 losses, a couple draws. Last year was a draw 1-1. Um, it's, it's a tough place to play it, it, to be honest. I, I actually kind of really, I know people that stadium gets a little bit of, um, a bad rap, but, uh, I have been to four, four or five matches there now. I actually like it. It's a pretty cool stadium, but, um, you know, it's a tough place to play. Uh, that being said here, I, I think Chelsea is going to start, um, figuring it out. Uh, I, I think you're going to see, like Mike said, I think you're going to start to see some of these players come in. Um, and I think you're going to start to see um, a little bit more cohesion. The, the, the midfield is someone's going to someone has to score goals. But you know, once again, the midfield is just so key. I mean, if they get you start getting, you know, Casado and 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 um, just I mean, he's he's just massive being with. But they they have so many players now that they can kind of plug in and play there. I, I just think it's big. I I just. I think they're a little bit better than West Ham right now. So, you know, it's probably going to be a 2-1 Chelsea. Uh, I think, once again, I think there'll be some goals. But uh, I, I think it'll be a pretty decent game. I, I think, you know, I, I think before the the the, the next um, – I don't even know when the next international break is. I think it's September. But uh, I, I think you're going to start to see Chelsea start to put it together a little bit. Uh, JJ mentioned uh, a trap game a moment ago, which which kind of segues us into our, our fourth mm -hmm. featured game of this week, and that's Arsenal making the, the trip to Selhurst Park to face Crystal Palace. Of course, the news today was uh, that Michael Olise is staying at Palace. He was he was on the transfer radar with several teams, signed a new four-year deal to remain at Crystal Palace. Uh, Palace was a 1-0 winner over Sheffield United last week. Arsenal began its season with a 2-1 win uh, over Nottingham Forest, but... Now that Palace has got the Elise situation kind of settled, Arsenal's coming in. Is this a trap game for the Gunners? Uh, and could Crystal Palace take something off of them? Arsenal won both games last year pretty easily. Uh, JJ, start with you. Yeah, first off, I'm very fascinated to see which of these rumors that are actually true and how Elise stayed because something along the lines of <laughs> Palace lawyering up 
for the fact that Chelsea couldn't get that over the line. Or I've read somewhere that Elise was kept hostage somewhere within the bowels of Selhurst Park. I doubt that's actually a thing, but it was just, you know, Twitter still is a great place at times. Very few times, but a great place. Um, but yeah, I think now all of a sudden there's going to be a bit of belief in the um, at Selhurst Park right now, which has all always been a tough place to play and opponents just find life difficult and it always seems that Palace picks a team every year to be the thorn in the side of the top six. I know at times City have been the team that has struggled to get some results out of. The thing that I want to see from both of these teams, guys, is I just want to see improvement, frankly, because I was really disappointed that Arsenal just didn't finish the game. I mean, 2-0 up early, and they just took all their feet off the gas and I think Forrest at times were a little unlucky not to get more than just the 101 he was solid shout out of course to Matt Turner which I'll always do whenever I have a chance but he was very very good in goal keeping his team in it you have it's good enough to get the points obviously you know job done it's the first match of the season but the fact that they played the better part of just 50 minutes to 60 minutes in that match is not a championship caliber side they need to go there put in a performance otherwise i think this palace team under uncle roy who will always find a way um i could see this one being points for palace not sure if it's going to be three but i definitely see at least getting something from it mike this has been the week of statement games right and, and i think this is another opportunity for one of those statement type games and here's why i like that they kept elisi um albeit that contract signing picture looked more like a hostage photo. Um, Somewhere deep in the bowels of Selhurst Park. Yeah. I mean, take it from a Leicester City fan. Players that don't want to be there usually don't perform at their best when they're still there. Michael Elise seemed like he wanted to go. Do any of us know what happened? No, but the best we could do is Fabrizio. And Fabrizio said he's there because of lawyers. And that's it. That's a dangerous situation. But the fact is, he's still there and he's a talented footballer. Arsenal, I've believed in you. I'm on the record here saying I think you are going to be a team that can win a big trophy this year. Go beat Crystal Palace. They're a feisty mid-table team. They are a team that if you are who I think you are, you go and dominate this game. You win this game 2-3-0 because, Sean, if this is the Arsenal that you say they always are, this is the exact game they lose. Yeah, look, I mean, this is a tough – Sellers Park is tough. I, I Once again, I mean, I talk about this Palace team. I, I think this is going to be a really fun match to watch. I, I think you – know, I think there's going to be some goals. I, I say this a lot, but I, I think this league has kind of become a little bit more of an attacking league now. Um, and, I, you know, this Palace team, the front four is, is, is dangerous. And, you know, I still think uh, that Arsenal can be got at at times. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I, I think Palace is going to find a way to get a result. You know, is, are they going to win the game? I don't know. You know, I, I, I think, you know, over the last, you know, end of last year and the beginning of this year, um, you know, Palace, I think his Palace has looked so much better than they did under Vieira. Uh, I, I just, I think they find a way to get a result. Um, I, I just think Arsenal drops points here. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Sean. Um, Palace, only one loss in their last 10 at home. So they... When they're at home, they perform very well. Uh, they look good against Sheffield on Saturday. I know it's Sheffield. They outshot them 24 to 8. They won, had like almost 70% per, a possession percentage. So they looked pretty good. They did their job against Sheffield. Now this is obviously a bigger stage, but again, they're at home. They have a lot of talent. They can, they can do this. I think they can take at least one point from Arsenal. That'll be the Monday night match. Uh, that's 3 o'clock. Again, that's 3 o'clock our time here. It's the Monday night football match. 
um, over there in the in the UK. Uh, I just want to run down the rest of the week two slate, and if there's anything uh, that sticks out to you guys, you can go ahead and jump in. The Friday the Friday game, Sheffield United goes to, to Nottingham Forest. Both of those teams lost uh, in their openers. Uh, Brighton is at Wolves. These are on Saturday. Brighton is at Wolves. Bournemouth is at Liverpool. Brentford's at Fulham in a West London derby. Uh, Everton is at Aston Villa, two teams that, that both need a win after after disappointing results in, in week one. Uh, and then, of course, the Burnley-Luton game has been uh, postponed uh, while Luton Stadium gets uh, gets up to, to par. So uh, anything from the rest of those games that, that stands out for you guys? I, I'll go first. I mean, I, I like Villa-Everton. I think that's an interesting game. I, you know, once again, I, I don't think Everton played poorly in that game. They just can't find the net and at some times uh they seem to have decent players um you know villa has to bounce back i you know i I think they need a big result in that game um to kind of show last week wasn't a fluke and then the other one you know i mean not even for sheffield no interest i know kyle you know fulham and brentford there's no there's no early match this weekend because they're moving these games all over the place um but, you know, I think Wolves-Brighton, I, I just, you know, I think that could be interesting. I, I still think Brighton is going to, you know, to, to play well in that game. I, I would say Brighton probably wins that pretty easily now that Wolves has, uh, you know, played their FA Cup final in the first week. <laughs> Nottingham Forest <laughs> and Sheffield United is actually an important game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that's going to be one of those games where – when they're two or three points away from each other, if they are, uh, this this result's going to really matter. Um, I, I know I'm on the record of saying there's not three relegation spots available this year. There's one because I think it's kind of a given that Luton and Sheffield are going down. But if Sheffield gets a result here, all of a sudden Sheffield has entered the chat. They have an opportunity this week to steal an early three points against what a lot of people think are going to be a relegation rival. Yeah, and for me, uh, as a Liverpool supporter, this game against Bournemouth needs to be an easy one. They won 9-0 at Bournemouth last year. They need to do something similar. I'm not saying they need to put up eight or nine goals, but they need to score four goals, not give up any goals, and kind of get you know off that draw from Chelsea and get you know get the season started on the right foot. Um, and I, from a tactical standpoint for Liverpool, I would – Definitely try to ditch the Cody Gakbo in midfield and at least play Curtis Jones. It's Bournemouth, so that should work hopefully, and we'll see what happens. Naturally, since there's five of us and there would have been the five games in the best of the rest segment, well, there's four. So I will be ceding the floor for the West London Derby to our West London expert, but I will want to watch the duo of Forest and Wolves, can they take their positive performances, maybe not so much in results, but build on that, especially Forest, as we said, that's probably a relegation six-pointer already, but I felt out of that that they were really hard done not to get something from it. The same can be said for Wolves, but I feel like for Forest, this is basically where you need to rely on the city ground to pull you through if there's any sort of a tough stage in that game. And yeah, Kyle, over to you. Brentford and Fulham that that's always actually a pretty spicy match yeah it, it is and it was a fun two games they played against uh, each other last year lots of goals they ended up splitting the the two meetings but I just think uh, at, at home uh, for Fulham and, and obviously Brentford not having Ivan Tony, I think it's it's an opportunity here to to continue to get off to a good start if you're Fulham and and be able to pick up uh, three points again uh, I guess we'll at some point we'll probably see uh, uh, Adama Traore uh, who Fulham were, were able to sign. I like I like that signing for them, baby oil included. Um, but you know they needed they needed wingers, <laughs> they needed wingers, and, and he's a guy uh, who can do that. The, the only thing with him is if you look at his career, he does so much well, and then the end product can be a little inconsistent. Uh, but if they're able to get any of that out of him, he certainly uh, adds to the squad. And then you know uh, you know Fulham's got to go. You know Fulham has to go to Arsenal next week. Uh, then they have Man City in, in the league after that with a game against Tottenham in the in the EFL Cup in between. So, uh, you know, it gets tougher after this, and that's why I think it's important for Fulham to come out at home and, and be able to, um, you know, get three points here and, and get two wins to, to start the year. We will now move it right to our section called Around the World, where you get to look at anything else from the world of football, and if you want to bring it up or, or, or throw something out or make a hot take, uh, this, is, this is the time to do it. 
Uh, JJ, uh, why don't you go first? Because we have a Women's World Cup final coming up. Yeah, as I said in episode zero, um, a lot of my background, obviously, as a fan is one thing, but I worked in women's football uh, as a journalist. I've worked with uh, lower league teams. This is something that I it's deep ingrained in me. And yes, I've gotten up a number of times at 6 a.m. in the morning. I did say anything before is a little excessive. But the 6 a.m. game has been up for the night games. And, yeah, we've got a final uh, at 6 a.m. Eastern time on Sunday. And it's a rematch of what was the quarterfinals in last year's Euros when England took on Spain. And, boy, that was a match. Uh, I was in England last year for that. I was in England for their uh, England's last two group stage matches, the decimation of Norway and Northern Ireland, and this absolute nail-biter against Spain. And um, Spain, for those that haven't followed this tournament much, there's obviously many subplots of this team, one where there's a dozen players that are not in this team because of the fact that they're in a feud with their federation because of their coach. Um, a lot of different things, whether it's a mental health thing or whether it's the fact that Jorge Vilda is not tactically sound enough to be the manager of a national team. Well, the fact of the matter is the player pool within this Spanish national team have done some amazing things. And boy, they darn near beat England in the Euros last year where Esther Gonzalez found the back of the net on the half hour mark. And you thought that that was probably going to be it before Ella Toon got her big toe on the end of one and sent it to extra time before Georgia Stanway absolute lasered one uh, in extra time to get them over the line. But this England team, I feel like they're on an absolute high right now. It looks like they've hit their peak. Uh, they performed really well against Australia in the semifinals on Wednesday morning with goals from Hemp, Russo, and Toon. Lauren James coming back from suspension is going to be very fascinating if Serena Vigman is going to put her in, as she had done for the previous four matches when she was available before the red card, or will they keep the lineup? Spain on the other side, their semifinal against Sweden. One of those games where if you set your DVR, you could have skipped the first 70 minutes and then shown up for the last 15, and that's all that you needed to know from that game. Spain, they're finishing well at this time um, after that drubbing from Japan in the final group stage, lost 4-0, and all they've done is scored nine, concede three in knockout games. That's something that's pretty challenging. Sweden, by the way, the ultimate bridesmaid. This is now the fourth time they'll, they'll compete in a third-place game in the World Cup. They have only won one championship that's come back in 84 in the Euros, and they have been a runner-up or a semifinalist in over a dozen. It's going to be fun. I'm picking England. Those cheeky lionesses and those blue jerseys are sensational. The Serena Vigman to the U.S. Uh, rumor is already uh, heating up enough that the FHF had to come out and say, no, 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 we're, we're going to keep her. Um, because you know how that goes, right? If she were to win the World Cup with England, she would now have taken the Netherlands to a World Cup final, won the Euros with England, and then won a World Cup with the England. She would have nothing left to prove uh, in, in women's football other than to take over the big bad U.S. and return it to glory. In fact, it's the one crazy stat in now five international competitions, because you do count the Olympics as a major international. She has lost one match in 90 or 120 minutes. That was against the U.S. in the 19 final. She did lose on penalties with the Netherlands in the Olympics, but I would take that record. And they should, have, they should have won that game. They should have won that game against the U.S. Agreed. in the Olympics. Serena, too. we trust in her. Stay in England. <laughs> go ahead, Mike. I'm going to go toward the third rail here a little bit, but I, I'm not afraid to go toward the third rail and things like this. Mason Greenwood should never play professional football again. There is absolutely no way that Manchester United can possibly bring him back or that anyone can bring him back. There is a difference between innocent and not criminally guilty. The criminal system found one thing. We all heard those tapes. Mason Greenwood does not belong anywhere near a professional football pitch. Agreed. And that's that me as a United fan agreed because, I mean, the fact that you've got fans that are protesting outside the stadium and during matches, 
I mean, this is also coming in the midst of we don't know what the if there's going to be a takeover with a potential Qatari bid and you have a women's team that there are plenty of out players in that team and that country doesn't view um, same sex marriage in the same light as other countries. That's that could be a discussion for another day. But this club, unfortunately, in my opinion, has taken the wrong decision on a few too many occasions. I do hope in some light that Mason Greenwood does learn from his mistakes. I, I truly I do believe that people should get a second chance in life and make the best of it. But in this current situation, he should not be playing professional football for Manchester United. And it would be a hard case to make it right now at this current stage in August of 2023 for any other Premier League side to be taking him. Sean, Stu, anything you guys want to add to our around the world segment? Yeah, I guess um, for me, later today, Bundesliga starts, specifically uh, Bayern Munich season and more specifically Harry Kane's debut. Uh, I guess for me, it's just how many goals is this guy going to score? I see what he did in the Premier League. The Bundesliga is going to be so much easier for him to score. So as long as he stays healthy, I think at least 30 goals, maybe even 40 goals uh, in league competition. And then plus he's going to get a ton more goals in Champions League. Uh, So for me, just seeing what Harry Kane does, in that Bayern Munich jersey is something I'm looking forward to. I have, a, I have a hot take since you brought up Harry Kane that has to do with Harry Kane. Uh, Harry Kane will retire from football after the 2026 World Cup in the U.S. and then try to become an NFL kicker. I don't think it's that much of a hot take. He has been out publicly and said that he wants to be an NFL kicker. Maybe 26 might be a little early, maybe after the 28 Euros, if I, that's the right day or right year. But I would, yeah, I, I definitely I see just him thinking that. after you play a World Cup in the United States, right? And your name is, I mean, every, I mean, most people know who Harry Kane is, but now you've really put your name out there in the United States. And he's been very open about how he wants to try that. Maybe that's the time he, he, he goes for it. That's my, that's my hot take. Sean, you got a, a last thought? Want to take us home? Yeah, um, just want to watch a little bit of the La Liga. Barcelona stinks. I think that team is uh, pulling levers already in this season. I think they're already in trouble. They can't sign players. They can't register players. I think, uh, you know, Real Madrid obviously uh, has a chance here to take their title back. And uh, there's a big game between Atletico and uh, Real Betis this weekend. So I think that's going to be pretty interesting. But uh, other than that, uh, it's been a pretty interesting week in football around the world. I think there's going to be some pretty good games. Remember to like, subscribe, ring the bell, leave comments, help us drive that algorithm so we can get to the top of this uh, this football world here with Box to Box Football. And uh, make sure you're here again uh, Tuesday morning because we're going to go through all the games from the weekend and on Monday. And uh see how everything went and see how our predictions went. So uh, make sure you tune in and we will see you again next week.